Roll tight, everybody, and welcome to Bama Talk. I'm Steve Sample, along with engineer-producer Mark Phillips at Airwave Recording Studio in Birmingham, Alabama, and we are locked and loaded for leprechauns. If you're a Bama fan or just a college football fan, this game is as big as it gets. If you can't get jacked up about this matchup, you might need some kind of checkup from the neck up because this game sets up the two most storied traditions in the history of college football. Not just this year, not just the last 10 or 20 years, not since TV took over, not since cable became king. I'm talking all time, y'all. These are national names that were big time before there even was a prime time. And you can bet your four-leaf clover ESPNs all over this pairing because airing this game ought to ratchet their ratings right through the roof. But before we delve any deeper into what's dead ahead for the team in red, I want to share a few thoughts about the guys that play the game. Most of us gathered with family and friends these last few days to exchange gifts with one another. It's a tradition that was born long ago, but it continues to strengthen the bonds we share, and it helps bring light to the world in the dark days of winter. Now, while there's gladness in getting and there's blessing in giving these gifts, it seems more than fitting to offer thanks to those who labor long and hard to give us that thing we tied types really treasure. A gift that just keeps on giving, that pride we feel in our Crimson Tide. You know, whether your fandom is in its first stages or you've followed them faithfully through the ages, our people can talk the talk because those players walk the walk. And Alabama football may well be the most inclusive, most unifying activity many of us take part in because you'll find fans from every walk of life at the Walk of Champions when the team buses arrive at Bryant-Denny. Now, whether you're a doctor or a ditch digger, a congressman or a custodian, crimson's the color we all have in common. If you're into demographics, game day is the real deal. Year in and year out, those players and the coaches invest their lives in this special thing we love. They work hard. They work long hours. They lead lives that are busier and more demanding of their time and energy and effort than most of us could ever endure. They've given us more thrilling moments, more exciting games, more big wins, and more championships than the average fan of another school could ever conceive. And let's not forget that our team usually winds up spending most of their Christmas holiday preparing to wrap another pro season present we get to open in January. Needless to say, the gifts they give don't come easy and they don't come cheap. So as we make our way through the holiday, we hope you'll join us in giving thanks to those who give so much of themselves and their time. To the players and the coaches and their families, we want to say thank you for all you do and all you give. You are a gift, and there's not a tree tall enough or wrapping paper pretty enough to make it one bit better. And while we're giving thanks, we want to mention our men and women in the military. This has to be a tough time of year for them and for those of you that are stationed far away from home, and especially those who may be in harm's way, we want to say a very sincere thank you for your service and your sacrifice. There's no way we can say enough, and they darn sure don't pay you enough to make up for all you pass up when you sign up. But you can rest assured that you're not forgotten, and that we hope we might be helping you get through the day in some small way. Back on the home front, there's good news about incoming players because recruiting's going extremely well again, and we could have as many as nine enroll in January. Quarterback Cooper Bateman, running back Derek Henry, wide receiver Raheem Falcons, 
tight end O.J. Howard, and defensive lineman Demarcus Walker will come in as freshmen, and they'll be joined by JUCO transfers Leon Brown and Brandon Hill when second semester starts. Now, Brandon Hill will back count against the 2012 class, so that means we have as many as 26 new players for the fall of 2013. Another new name that'll be added to the roster is Luke Del Rio. We think it's very interesting and more than just a little flattering that Luke committed to play at the university. Luke's the son of current Denver Broncos assistant coach Jack Del Rio, who played his college ball at USC, and he was the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars for several years. Luke reportedly turned down several full scholarship offers at schools such as Oklahoma State, Oregon State, and UCLA to enter school at Alabama as an invited walk-on. Along with the other players we just mentioned, he'll be enrolling in January just in time to join the quarterback competition in spring practice. It speaks volumes about our program and the high regard knowledgeable professional football people have for it that they'd turn down full scholarship offers at other schools so their son can play at the University of Alabama. Our guest today earned a full scholarship after making the All-State team three times at Cherokee County High School in Center, Alabama. He rushed for over a thousand yards in his career at Bama as a fullback. He made the All-SEC academic team, served as president of the FCA, which is, by the way, the oldest FCA chapter in the country. Uh, He earned the Sylvester Croom Commitment to Excellence Award, played on two SEC championship teams, and the 1992 national championship team that put a historic hurting on the Hurricanes that are home away from home in the Superdome. You know, after watching some clips of that game again, my guess is there's some Miami linebackers out there somewhere that hope they never see this guy again. Martin Houston, number 35, we're glad to see you and glad you could share a little time with us today. I'm glad to be here, Steve, and really looking forward to sharing with you. Oh, man, I know you've got a lot of things going on, man, because I I, I read some about what you're doing. I couldn't even keep up with all of it. You're living in Tuscaloosa, my hometown. Tell us about what all you got going on these days. Well, most importantly, you know, happily married for the last 23 years with four beautiful children, uh, ranging from age of 21 down to nine, two boys, two girls, and just a very blessed man in terms of family and also involved in ministry, uh, very much so, uh, and have launched my own ministry, Impact for Life. And God is really doing some awesome things, giving me an opportunity to speak and share. So I both speak in the Christian world as well as speak in terms of leadership and motivation, especially when it comes to uh, dealing with young people who are looking for that opportunity or need that little bit of encouragement to, to take the next step. Martin, when I think about your time with the Tide, the first thing that comes to mind is that game against Miami and New Orleans. You know, Derek Lassick and Sherman Williams both had great games, and just about every time they busted one for a big game, they were running by somebody you just planted on that plastic grass. Were those guys easier to block than you thought they'd be, or did you just go crazy on them at night? Well, it was a, it was a big game, a lot of emotion and a lot of excitement going into that game. I won't say that they were easier than I expected. Uh, I just think that that was my night and uh, had a great time uh, blocking and was on. As they say, I was in the zone that night and uh, had several great blocks against some really, really good linebackers for Miami. You know, I'm not sure those guys, and they'd had two or three really good years leading up to that, but I'm not really sure, looking back at the schedule they played back then, that they'd played anybody like like you guys before they got to that game. I really think we kind of took them by surprise because I, I got the impression that a lot of folks they played didn't hit back. Well, you know, what's funny is going up to that game, we had a lot of conversation, people saying, well, you know, if you guys can't run the ball, you're not going to be able to win. And I thought... 
Have you watched this? If we can't run the ball, we wouldn't want any game. But as we watch film, one of the things that became very obvious, there was a couple teams that year, Florida State, Penn State, and Arizona that kind of ran a similar hard-nosed, run-it-down-your-throat type of offense, and they all had great games and a lot of yardage, but for whatever reason, they couldn't get it into the end zone. They had several missed field goals, several blown red zone opportunities, and we knew that if we could finish our drives, that we could beat this team. And uh, my philosophy where they had a lot of speed, a lot of speed. Oh, yeah. So I, I said they were like a Corvette, and I said we were like the 18-wheeler. That's good if you're chasing the Corvette, but it's not good if you're going head-to-head against an 18-wheeler. Yeah, the head-on collision is not a good thing if you're in the Corvette. That's <laughs> right. And so we were the we were the 18-wheeler that night, and they were the Corvette. I'm talking about all 18 wheels. Hey, hey, you know, I was there that night. When you guys came out of the locker room right before kickoff, uh, I've never seen a Bama team right out of the locker room that fast. I mean, the intensity level was off the charts that night. looked like an Elvis concert because – 10,000 camera flashes were going off. It was amazing. Was there anything different or special uh, that Coach Stallings or the staff was said to you guys before you came out that night? Because it was, it was nuts. You know, when, you, when you're in that moment, you don't really remember all those things. I'm, probably, I'm sure I could probably sit down with my teammates and go back and find out if there was something. But I think we had prepared so well and watched so much film and were so ready to play that the coaches really had to kind of get out of the way and let us get on the field and get to the business of playing the game. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to believe that game was 20 years ago because the memories of it are so clear. Uh, I always watch warm-ups, like I was just mentioning, pretty closely, and I've still never seen a team carry on like they did before that game, at least not one that represented a university. You know, it was pretty clear they had it, no respect for you guys. Uh, or anybody else for that matter, did their attitude help get you guys to turn it up a notch? I think it was two things that helped us turn it up a notch. I think as you go through the season, if you could flash back, you would read reports that say Alabama is the worst 7-0 team in the nation, and they're the worst 9-0 oh, team Lee in Oh, Lee Corso the- said that all year. Yeah, him, him and Bino Cook, and they kept saying it all year. Yeah, we were the worst 11-0, and the worst yeah. 12-0. and Right, and so Miami had read that, and of course they were on like a 29-game win streak, and here we were not supposed to be there. So when you take those two things, the fact that we had kind of bonded together to show that we did deserve to be there, along with their lack of respect, we didn't really get into that except for it caused them to underestimate us. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I remember one of the things that went on that week, and of course they're all you're there four or five days ahead of time, and you're going to these functions and meals and parties and everything, and that, that some of them talking about Roosevelt Patterson being fat and sloppy. Yeah. Well, well, I tell you what, he might have if he was fat and sloppy, he was fat and sloppy all over them that last night because they didn't stop anything we did on well, the line of scrimmage all night. Well, you know what? What's interesting is there was a time on on Bourbon Street. I did not go down to Bourbon Street. I was already married at that point, and uh, three and a half years in at that point. But um, and wanting to stay married, and, and wanting to stay married exactly. Uh, but Roosevelt had an interesting encounter that night uh, that you're talking about. Something else happened. Rohan Marley made a statement about your fullback talking about me could uh, not block their linebackers. And I thought and Rohan was one of their backers. Yes, that's correct. And so what was interesting was I was like, if I hadn't said I could block them, but he's talking about on the street, 
they're worried. And so I knew that if I got on them early that I could have a really big game. Well, I just happened to catch a clip on YouTube of you and Rohan, 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 saying hello during the game at night, and I think you came out on the better end of that stick. I would say that that was one of my better games. Against probably overall from top to bottom, that was probably the best group of linebackers when you really look at it. Pure talent, Rohan aside, uh, they actually had three guys going the first round. Oh, Michael Barrow. Uh, Michael Barrow, Darren Smith, and Jesse Armstead all had great careers in the NFL. Oh, it was like a pro day. Yeah, but that night, <laughs> that night the good old country boys from <laughs> from Center, Alabama, and from Tuscaloosa uh, had the upper hand. Well, I know they got a good look at Bourbon Street, but I also know they know what the roof of the Superdome looks like because they saw it several times that night looking straight up. Well, that's what we went in to do, and we were able to be successful uh, you know, we went in with a game plan to run the ball, and I was actually just talking to Derek Lassick uh, a couple of days ago, and we were talking about that first half, and he had over 100 yards. We had like 152 yards in oh, the we first were half. Them. And, and it was really uh, it was really not as close in the first half as the scoreboard appeared, and then in the second half the scoreboard began to reflect how much we dominated the game. You know, Coach Stallings said later, uh, he said, going into it that he thought we had the better team and it's pretty clear the staff did an incredible job of getting the team ready uh, everybody knows about the plan brother Oliver put together on defense I mean people still talk about that you know 20 years later and it was a great one but what does get overlooked is the fact that we only threw just a handful of passes that night in fact I remember we only completed four all night so yeah we shortened the game but if 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 we'd have been throwing more who knows what the score could have been because it was 34 to 13 and they were lucky it was that close uh we just ran it right down the throat all night what was it like to get out there against a team that was ranked number one one number one ran their mouth all week was prissing around with all that swagger pregame and then you see you can whip them and you know they know it too well it it was just like uh i won't say it was just like any other game in terms of the outcome because we were playing for a national championship. But as far as the feeling and the emotion there, we were a team that was full of a lot of guys, uh, filled with a lot of guys who had played a lot of football. So by the time we got to that game, we had a lot of fourth and fifth year seniors who had had gone through the trenches, had had been through the ups and downs, and had seen Alabama uh, go from you know a number two ranking as freshmen when we lost to Auburn and how disappointing that was to having an opportunity to play for the national championship. So when we got out there on the field, it was business as usual. There was no, there was no hype. It was just let's take care let's of business. Ball. Let's play ball. And we when we got out there and we had the success we thought we could have, our confidence just went to the next level. Well, you know, and um, it bears mentioning, too, there was a lot of guys on that Alabama team that wound up playing on Sunday that next year. A bunch of them. Yeah, I, I tell people all the time that I, I was very blessed. Uh, I don't know if I was the most talented guy, but I knew, knew how to play football, and I worked really hard. And I was blessed to be a, a part of a team with some guys that not only worked hard, but also was very gifted. And, of course, that was evident uh, as you watch the NFL over the next couple of years as guys that were seniors and even younger guys that later on went on to play in well, the NFL. Especially defensively, Sam Shade. George Teague, uh, Curry and Copeland. Langham. <laughs> uh, uh, Cornelius Griffin 
Was was he in that bunch? No, he wasn't in that bunch. He was later. He was later. Okay. There, there was Antonio Langham. There was Derek uh, Oden. Derek Oden. It was it was Antonio London. It you you could just keep naming guys that were younger guys that came along uh, and made that defense great. And I think that's what made our offense so effective in that game because those guys, that defense that they talked about at Miami, could not stand up. Uh, couldn't hold a candle to the defense that we practice against every day. Oh, and, and the offensive line. Uh, George Wilson and that bunch, Roosevelt Patterson, all those guys did a super job that night. And and we hadn't even mentioned the deuce. We hadn't even mentioned David Palmer. And he got loose a few times that night. And that's – I mean, Miami didn't have any more luck corralling him than anybody else did. Right. We he, were We were the best – team in the country that year and why do I say team uh of course everyone remembers that great defense they remember the great defense but there's games and there's situations and there's circumstances throughout that year where special teams had to come up big for instance you take La Tech and a six nothing David Palmer comes back to his game special teams wins the game then you go to the Mississippi State game where we were up uh, by like a couple touchdowns, and then all of a sudden we found ourselves down at the end of the game, and special team makes a punt, and then Jay makes a couple great throws on that last drive, and we go down to secure our, our berth into the SEC West game. Then you look at uh, the, the Miami game itself. Every aspect of the game, Palmer starts it off with a, a great punt return. Offense is moving the ball. Defense shuts them out. We were the best team in the country. Of course, Miami, if you look at it, probably position to position, they probably had more talent than we did, but we actually were the best team in the country that year. Well, what was so much fun was, was sitting there watching Miami's offense get up the line of scrimmage and us go into some of that stuff we were doing that night. And then, and Gino Toretta just having stand up call timeout, go over the sideline and figure out what am I supposed to do against this? Well, you know, it's funny. <laughs> some people said, well, what did you think when, when they came to the line I said, the same thing you did. We don't have any DBs. Everybody's on the line. I said, we thought the same thing that that many other fans did, and we had the same expression. Even I've had the George Teague play. I've had people say, well, what did you think about George Teague running that guy down? I said, I did the same thing you did. He's going to catch him. He's going to get He caught him. He caught him. He has the ball. I said, I went through the same emotion. What, a, what an awesome uh, a night, everything flowing, everything came together for the tie. Yeah, there were so many great things that night. We'd gone undefeated in the regular season, shut out Auburn, 17 to nothing at Legion Field, with Langham return, you know, pick six, uh, won the, SEC, the first SEC championship game against a very good Spurrier-coached Florida team. Cold, I'm talking about, uh, defeated the number one ranked team to become the first Bama team to win 13 games and did it in the 100th year of football at Alabama. So we had a centennial celebration along with a national championship celebration. Uh, you know, as much success as Alabama football had had over that century, that was as good a year as we had ever had up to that point. It must be an amazing feeling to know you were right in the middle of all of that. It is It is very humbling. I, I was asked a question, Steve, how, how does it feel um, to, when you think about the fact that you won that national championship and when do you realize it? I said, I realized it early on what we had done, but now I appreciate it, if that makes sense. Because when you look back from 
Coach Bryant to Coach Saban, there's us. And and that we're that bridge between these two great legends exactly. that they talk about. And 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 I think now I have a greater appreciation for what we were able to accomplish during that time. And it, it it's it's still humbling. When I when I sometimes sit back and think, I go, Wow, man, I cannot believe that I was a part of, as you said, the first SEC championship game. Uh, the national championship in the 100th year and all of these things. And when my kids hear it, like my son just figured out, my youngest son just figured out that I was in the first SEC championship game. Daddy like, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so, so it's, it's, it's pretty amazing and very humbling. When you play football at Alabama, doing anything first is remarkable. Because somebody before you, most of the time, they've done that before. We've been there. We've done that. And just all those things, man, that's that's amazing. You know, it, it, it's what, you know, what are some of the other games you played in while you were there, while you, you play and, and opponents you played against that stand out in your mind? Well, there's two games that stand out to me, probably because uh, it was that dream that, that I really should have been the tailback, you know. <laughs> I, I played tailback in high school, and uh, so for five years I, I, I'm relegated to being the fullback. But in two games my senior year, I actually led the team in rushing. One was against La Tech, uh, and people don't realize this. La Tech was actually probably the best defense that uh, we played against, and I know that it was the best core of linebackers even more so than the Miami linebackers because they were much more physical. But we, I ran the ball like 17 times against LaTeX. And then the Auburn game, I was actually the leading rusher in the Auburn game my senior year. Uh, and so those two games stand out for that reason. Then just throughout the, the course of, of my career, there's a couple other games that stand out because of the great rivalry that I had with a couple of guys from Florida, uh, the SEC championship game. You know, as you said, that was the coldest game I think I ever played in in my life. Uh, and just the fact that we had won 21 games in a row and hadn't won anything, and that it came down to that one play by Antonio Langham, uh, that play when he makes that catch for us on the sideline, it was almost in slow motion. When he catches you, you see it and you realize if he doesn't fall, he's going to score, you know? And so, but uh, throughout my, my career, um, I would say that the, there's some games that stand out, but none more than those two, simply because it was that childhood dream of being a running back at the university of Alabama. Hey, you know, there's, there's a story I got to share with you and you may be able to help me with, when this actually happened. Now, I believe it was about Michael Proctor, who played with you guys. And at, they're out at practice one day, and he's, you know, kicking field goals, practicing. Coach Stallings walk over, stands there, and Proctor looks up and says, Coach, it makes me nervous when you stand there and watch me. And Coach Stallings says, well, son, I'm planning on being at every game. You know. <laughs> well, I, I don't remember that particular story, but I can relate to it. Coach Stallings was uh, – what what an awesome man. What an awesome role model. What a, what a blessing. What a great father. God, yeah, that's what I was going to say. What a blessing God gave me for allowing me to um, – to play under him because he played such a key role in my formation as a man 
beyond just being a football player uh, and, and just, just the way he carried himself and the way he loved and cared for his family uh, was such a, an example yeah. that I wanted to emulate when I was finished playing ball. But on the other side of that, <laughs> when he wanted to say, now Martin, you know, when he go into that deep voice, it's just like the hairs on your neck stand up and it's like, Yes, sir, coach. And you're ready to do. And I, I heard people talk about how when Coach Bryant would speak, you wanted to you wanted to go out and perform for him. Well, Coach Stallings had that same impact uh, on me personally and on many of my teammates. Well, I know Coach Stallings never asked anybody to do anything he hadn't been through because he played under Coach Bryant at A&M and went to the junction, went through all that. Coached for 14 years under Tom Landry, Landry with, the, uh, with the Cowboys. So, you know, he'd been there and done that. And yeah. – uh, uh, those were some. Those were some. Run won seventy games in seven years. Yeah, it was an impressive run uh, for a group of guys that were told that we weren't supposed to be very good, and uh, that we may be the worst that Alabama had signed. And uh, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't get the benefit of Alabama's the beloved of college football now. We really had to work to get there. Uh, and, and you know, I don't know if you've ever heard this story, but as we went through that transition and that process of winning that national championship. Yeah, because you came in under Curry. Came in under Curry. And, uh, and then, of course, we lost the first game at Auburn. And then we started over and we lost the first three games of Coach Stalin's uh, coaching career. And so we never got that respect. And even when we were winning, and I can remember them saying we were the worst – 11 and 0 team and worst 12 and 0 and coach Stallings kind of ended that with we may be the worst 13 0 team in the country but my god we the best <laughs> and, <laughs> and we're the only and one and we the only one <laughs> and and the first one yes that's, that's at Alabama anyway and right. again uh, to do the to do something like that at Alabama first is a big deal hey you know uh you signed a free agent contract with the Steelers after you graduated They've always been known, known for playing smash, smash mouth football. And, of course, Coach Stallings spent years on the Cowboys staff, like I mentioned. How did playing under great coaches at Bama help you get ready to take it up a notch in the NFL? Well, I think it actually – the NFL was, was not as demanding for me personally uh, because of what I had to do in college, married, school – you know, in the, in the coaching. So I was able to drop the school part and just be married and, and, and play sports. But as far as the demand, the, the expectation, all of that paid huge dividends. And of course I played in Tuscaloosa where I, I tell people it's the hottest place in the world. And then I went up to the Steelers where it was about 20 degrees different. So, uh, to, and I didn't have to block, 40 to 50 times every practice when I was with the Steelers, much like I had to do at Alabama. But uh, as far as being prepared to play, uh, as you go back and look, most of the guys who left under Stallings ended up making the teams. Uh, so we were prepared to play at the next and level. And so many of those guys had long careers. You know, what happened with you? Was it a knee injury? Yeah, I, I actually, it was kind of weird. It was a freak thing. I was running to catch a pass, and maybe that's why they didn't throw it to me a lot at Alabama. And I just turned to catch a pass and dislocated my kneecap. It slid out, slid back in. And uh, I had graduated a year early, so I would always said, I'm going to give it a, my best shot, and if it didn't work, I'm going to go back and uh, go to work. And I'd already secured a job with Bob Bumhowers, who had Wing Sports Grill at that time. And that's just uh, Bumhowers Wings. Yeah. And I came back and went to work for him uh, as, in his marketing department. 
and uh, never missed a beat. Had a great, great run. Uh, Coach Cowher was great to, to play uh, under that brief time I was there. But you just, were probably, from a, a philosophical standpoint, a very good fit for them. I, I very much so. Actually, as a free agent, there was two teams that it came down to. It was either, I was either going to go to Kansas City or to the Steelers, and their philosophy and style of play was perfect for what I had done at Alabama. And uh, and so it, it was a great fit. And I think had I not gotten injured, uh, at minimum, I think I would have made the practice squad. And uh, and when I told Coach Cowher I didn't want to play anymore, he tried to talk me into staying. And I had decided that uh, it was a great run. I was very blessed. If you had told a little country boy from Center, Alabama, that he would be sitting across from uh, you know Bill Cowher in the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, coaching uh, football facility, tell him I don't think I want to play anymore. I would have took that dream and kind of and a ran Jeremiah twenty nine eleven moment. Absolutely, and and I was so blessed that they actually sent me my helmet. And even wow. though I didn't make the team, so I I tell people all the time I actually have a Pittsburgh Steelers helmet to prove that I was there. And you didn't have to pay for it, and I didn't have to pay for <laughs> it in cash. But look out, hey! You know while the schemes aren't the same, and the things Coach Saban has us doing these days are maybe a little more complicated than what Coach Stallings had us doing back then. The fundamental approach is pretty similar: be physical, you know, be able to run the ball, stop the run, play with good technique, be sound in the kicking game be ahead and takeaways and turnovers. As a former player watching the team these days, what stands out to you and what are the things you like about the way we play now? Well, actually, I think they play almost identical uh, to what we played back then. I I think throughout the history of Alabama and college football, the teams that have been champions have played where you run the ball, you're physical, and you can stop the running. You play well on special teams. That's the formula that Coach Stallings used. That's the formula he's using. The only difference, Steve, I think, between what we did and they do is they've moved the fullback from a stationary position behind the quarterback and moved him to the H-back. That hybrid. And, yeah, and what that does is it puts a quicker threat on the pass out into the flat, and into and that, and that helps the running game as well as it gets them into the uh, passing game a little quicker. But it's it's the fullback has just moved. Instead of running from the fullback spot to there to block, they're already there, and it's almost the exact same plays as we read. Of course, they go deeper, probably a little bit more than we did. You know, you you got to sit up there. I'm, I'm I was wondering, you got to be licking your chops as a player. You, you know, because gosh, sometimes we have as many as three tight ends in the game, and they're almost interchangeable with fullbacks in some ways. The way we use them now, so you know, we might have an H back in there and two tights in there, and they move them around. They shift. They got motion. Uh, Gary Danielson was saying, you know, that people that think we've got a simple offense really don't know what they're talking about because the way we use tight ends creates all kind of matchup and assignment headaches for the defense. But but if you're sitting in the stands, you got to think, man, I'd love to be doing what they're doing now because I mean, you're just all over the place. Yeah, I would love to have played because, like I said, they put the fullback out or the H back out into the passing game a little bit more, and you don't have to run. 15 yards to block a safety like I did. You're actually on the line and you're just there pretty quick. But but looking at the game, um, 
I think I could play in this offense. I think I was better suited uh, for the time and era in which I came. And uh, Oh, you were a perfect fit. Yeah, and so it, it's, it's great to watch, and I get excited about what I could possibly do on Saturday. And as soon as the game over, realization sits in, and I say, well, God, I'm glad they're doing it and hey, not me. Hey, give me two good knees and take away 20 years, and let's suit up. That's right. <laughs> hey, have you had a chance to look at Notre Dame this year at all? Yes, I actually got to see them play a couple of games. I saw them play against Pittsburgh. Um, and when you watch Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh plays a lot like us. Uh, they just don't have the talent we, no. we did. And so that's why one of the reasons I feel like uh, Alabama can really take advantage of Notre Dame and, and have some success is because Pittsburgh's style is similar to ours. Uh, and they had success against Notre Dame. And they and, darn near won the game. Absolutely. And so, and then the other game that I got to watch them play was against USC. And when you go back and look at the USC uh, game, it's a couple things that stand out. One would be the fact that they missed the ball deep a couple times. And I think had Barkley been in, the game's out of hand. And I think that came off of probably play action. Uh, and I think that's where we can get them as well. And on offense, I think we'll be a little more creative. They're running the same play up the middle as uh, Kiffin did uh, for USC. And last but not least, they don't have a very good red zone offense, and that was evident in both Pittsburgh and in USC. A lot of and field And I think goals. they're like 114 uh, in the nation in, um, in red zone efficiency. And I think when you take those things into account, mm, I think the tide's going to roll for number 15. Okay, we're just about out of time here, and we've been having a good time, but we're coming right up on the game now. Have you got a prediction? Uh, of, of course I have a prediction. Uh, uh, first and foremost, the tide's going to roll. And I think the tie's going to roll by a couple touchdowns uh, at least. And I, I think it's going to be somewhere around 27 to 13. Hey, that sounds good. I was thinking 27, 20. Uh, so I hope I hope one of us turns out right. Yay, man. Man, it has been so much fun having you come by. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time and making the effort. It's just uh, just been a ball. Uh, before we get out of here, if if somebody wants to get in touch with you with all these things you got going on and uh, reach you, what's the best way to contact you? If someone would like to have me come in and share or, or just uh, find out more information about what I'm up to, it's really easy to remember. My website is my name martinhouston.org that's martinhouston.org and my ministry name is impact number four life impact for life okay man hey we're gonna have you back again sometime okay looking forward to it roll tide roll tide hey if you want to have a chance to win the retirement game you've got to have a winning game plan and let's face it most of us don't have a good retirement planning playbook in place yet if you want to know more about building a better financial future for yourself and your family go to annuitiesalabama.com today you'll see they can help you with strategies that are safe and smart that'll get you across that retirement goal line but the game clock's running folks and six Successful people don't procrastinate. So give it the priority you and your family deserve and do it today. That's annuitiesalabama.com. Now, hey, be sure and check out our Bama Talk Facebook page. We're hearing from people all over the planet, and it's a lot of fun getting your comments and feedback. We want to be able to brag about having Tide fans on our Bama Talk Facebook page from all 50 states and all five continents. So if you enjoy it, hit that like button and let us know who you are and where you're from. Uh, we know the podcast format is still new to a lot of folks, so we want to remind you that these downloads are free. 
You can find us in the podcast section of iTunes. We're on Stitcher and, of course, our online home at bigbrainsmedia.com. It's also free to subscribe to the show so when you hit that subscribe button, it saves and stores every Bama Talk episode so you can listen to any of the shows anytime you want, as much as you want, at no charge. There's a free podcast app available, too, for your smartphone or mobile device so you can download the show and listen while you're working out or not working out or while you're driving by the landfill to throw out that fruitcake you got for Christmas. And you can always listen while you watch a replay of that 49 to nothing Iron Bowl beat down with the sound turned down. The show really sounds good while you watch our seventh string walk on tailback getting snapped with the second string line that played most of the second half. Kind of warms the heart on a cold winter day. Well, the game clock just hit zero and it's time to go, so we're going to head for the locker room and we hope you'll tune in again. Till next time, take care, have a blessed day, and roll tide.